Today on the show, we're not losing control. We're gaining it. Oh, we got news. <laughs> wow, I just watched Dragon Ball Broly this week. Uh, oh, shit. And that, nice. that felt good. That felt like we were both going Super Saiyan together. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And Leo. Yeah. We got some Dune news to cover, bud. Yes, we do. Oh, I'm so glad because <laughs> we planned this episode when there was no news. Right. And we were like, sure hope there's going to be news. And then, lo and behold, the universe delivered. The universe delivered. But hey, before we get into today's episode, let's get some quick housekeeping out of the way, starting with a spoiler warning. So today's news coverage is going to include some light spoilers for the first book because another trailer for Dune Part 2 dropped, and we will be talking about that trailer in our conversation today, which will touch on characters and events from the second half of the first book. So as long as you've read the first book, you should be perfectly A-OK today. Indeed. And naturally, got to give a huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons. That's right. Case Aiken, Matthew Good. Mm. Fellas, Gurney's got some advice for you guys. Your patron, your patron tears. What's wrong with that? Use it. Use it. <laughs> it's OK if you gain control and unleash a jihad. It's OK. We'll be there. Front lines. Right. We'll be part of it. Thank you for your support. <laughs> and of course, a huge thank you to all of our patrons and all of our listeners who tune in every single week and help make this show possible. Couldn't do it without all of you. Indeed. Well, let's talk about what we're going to do for this episode. So like the previous Distrans episodes, we're going to be updating you around any and all news around the movie. Mm -hmm. And then we will talk about the uh, TV show. And then video games and books and anything else that has come up in the last couple of months. That's right. Okay, Leo, before we get into it, let's take a quick breather. But dear listener, don't go anywhere. Because we'll be back to talk about some Dune news right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, buckle up. We're going to talk about the movie now. Yes. Uh, As a quick caveat, I recognize some people want to go in blind to the movie. So if you don't want to hear about this newest trailer, which does show a lot more of the what we can expect from the movie. Yes. We're going to put a timestamp in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Check that. Jump forward to it if you don't want to 
talk of, you know, you don't want to hear us talking about what we see in the second trailer. Absolutely. So, with that caveat out of the way, let's talk about this trailer, Leo. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> Gosh, the temptation to do another hour and a half breakdown of this trailer was strong. Yeah. But, you know, we have a couple of things on our plate, including finishing a fucking book called God Emperor of Dune <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, we're just going to break it down and talk about some of our highlights and the details that stood out to us from the second trailer on today's episode here. Indeed. Now, Watching the trailer, we have a few kind of big takeaways that this trailer seemed to focus on more than the previous trailer. Right. The the takeaways that we had were, first, there are clearly characters with expanded roles that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. There are some potential story changes, yeah. some potential like story beat changes. And then, of course, good Lord, the cinematography and the action yeah. sequences shown oh, Denny. teased in this trailer unbelievable yeah. then he is serving he is giving god emperor energy with this yes he is spectacular but let's go through those one at a time so characters with expanded roles right and first and foremost we got to talk about chani she is yeah. all over this trailer yeah and one of the most exciting things from the trailer is chani sort of pushing back on this idea of prophecy we see her and paul chatting throughout this trailer a couple of times and she's actually like well this is being used to control the fremen what's that all about like she's almost questioning it in the book chani kind of is a part of paul's life like falls in love with him has a child with him and then kind of fades into the background she's not really part of muadib's life the prophet's life she's more of, of like a personal relationship for paul atreides here it seems like she will play more of a critical role in the politics of it all as well. And in addition to that, the other big change that we see in this trailer in regards to Chani is her literally on the battlefield in Arakeen during what is seemingly the final assault against the Emperor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A dramatic change from the (laughs) books, obviously, but I, for one, think a welcome one to give Chani an expanded role, not just in the personal life of Paul Atreides, but in the political, spiritual, and religious life of Muad'Dib the Prophet, to be have her play a role in that, I think is a very smart move. Yeah, having her like an active negotiator with like, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the Fremen? Right. Is cool. It does feel like they've kind of nerfed the Missionaria Protectiva, though. Like, if the mis- Missionaria Protectiva is what we know it is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then every young Fremen person would be like, nah, prophecy for real right like no 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 like prophecy yes i fully this. indoctrinated i believe it yeah and so her being more of a skeptic means that we're sort of maybe taking some weight off of the potency of the Bene Gesserit ability to like supplant these things true true but at the end of the day i think it's going to yield a more active and more interesting character who is a better representation for a lot of people especially a lot of young people who grapple with the machinations of older generations where you know we get a couple of shots of stilgar going i believe and it's like oh "Oh my god yeah incredible but also what a contrast between her going the prophecies to fucking control us and it's like oh yeah i'm getting some like gen z and like baby boomer dichotomy there in an interesting way that i think mirrors the real world yeah today stilgar is constantly talking about how he had a job and paid himself through college like why the <laughs> fuck can't anyone else do that 
I bought my seat for $30,000 and a handful of grapes. <laughs> Why can't you do the same? The interest rate was negative 4%. They gave me money. They paid me every month. <laughs> what is taxes? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> the, la the last call out I want to make about Chani here is just a shot earlier in the trailer where <laughs> she literally shoots a rocket launcher at a fucking ornithopter, which we see, which we see blow up, like the shield sputters and oh, apparently fails, so and then it fucking blows up. And then she's like, Paul, I think, is helping her reload the rocket launcher. Yeah, she is going to be in this fucking movie, folks, and I'm ready oh, for yeah. it. Especially for how much criticism there was from the audience of like Chani's not even in this fucking movie on the first one. It's like Villeneuve's like, all right, all right, hold my spice beer. We're going to get mm, this done. Mm -hmm. Hold <laughs> my rocket launcher pointed at the hold door ornithopter. <laughs> hold, yeah, step one. Hold it. And then and she's like, are we killing someone right now? What's happening? I thought that was just in the movie. So that's Shawnee. Let's talk now about Gurney. Because Gurney also does seem to get more of a role in this movie than in the book. At least from what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Now in the book, just as a reminder... After Gurney and Paul reunite, Gurney is basically just trying to figure shit out and then kind of develops a friendship with Stilgar and then wants revenge and doesn't get it. And those are his story beats for the last half of Dune. Like, he doesn't really do anything. Right. In this trailer, we get Gurney suggesting that Paul use the title of prophet. And it seems like he's kind of an active voice in encouraging Paul to strategically use whatever he's been dealt. Like, whatever hand he's been dealt by fate or by the missionary of Predictiva. But I actually wanted to point out something at least that occurred to me, and I know that we don't, we don't necessarily agree on this, but mm -hmm. I have always sort of talked myself into believing that Gurney is kind of a faithful guy, like a, fa like a man of faith. Yeah. yeah. And I think Villeneuve kind of leaned into that. You know, we, we talked about in the first movie how he's reading, like, an excerpt from a religious text right. as they land on the... And then there's a couple of lines he has that seem to indicate at least a familiarity with faith and with uh, religion. Yes. And, he, and he's like constantly, even in the book, quoting the OC Bible or quoting verses and songs that make reference to like religious text. Right. Yeah. Maybe again, this continues to be a bit of my own headcanon, but making Gurney encourage Paul to like utilize the role of prophet or the utilize the sort of feels very cynical or it feels very like like it nails that gurney is a strategist that's the person gurney mm -hmm. Alec is mm -hmm. he's a military genius but it also feels like would a man of faith be like they think you're a holy prophet of god you should utilize that to take advantage of them yeah hell yeah manipulate <laughs> hell them yeah. Woo! fucking manipulate them with your your fake ass religion bro it's like mm, i don't know if that vibed as much with me but I'll also say that I, I don't super care. I like to see Gurney in the movie, and I want to... Josh Brolin's such a good actor. Right. Uh, any lines that he's given and any opportunities he's given to actually like play a part, I'm excited for. Yeah. Yeah, you don't waste an actor like Thanos, you know? <laughs> Halfway through the movie, he's like, I am inevitable. Well, Paul's just like, no, Whoa, Gurney, chill, bro. Nothing happened. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you see Gurney as a religious figure, because I... Don't, um, despite his many quotations of the OC Bible and him reading that religious text in the film, I see Gurney as more of like a 
spiritual person, perhaps, but at his core, I see him as just a pragmatic warrior at the end of the day. Uh, I, I don't think he's out here like praying five times a day. And even this line in the trailer, to me, even feels just like Gurney being strategic and being like, bro, you're like the last of the Atreides or the heir to the Atreides throne. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is how the house is going to survive. Use right. the prophet title. Just do what you need to. So to me, this feels like a strategic move from him and less, less like a religiously motivated move. Yeah. Okay, so that's Gurney. Uh, another character from the trailer that we want to shout out is Irlan, who is clearly, we talked about this in our trailer one deep dive breakdown as well, but she clearly also has an expanded role in this film. She is doing her whole investigative journalism thing, figuring out yeah, what's going on yeah. on Arrakis, figuring out who this Muad'Dib character is. But also, what's new in this trailer is we see her interact with her father, because we see Shaddam! Shaddam! <laughs> oh, he looks so good. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh, he looks great. We really oh. only get like two and a half shots, because we get like a profile shot of him playing chess or something. And then we get see like his face twice in the trailer, and he just looks so 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 good. He sounds good too. Uh, he sounds good, and I'm and I'm glad we're gonna get some Irulan Shaddam scenes because yeah, those two characters do nothing in the book until like literally the last scene. So I'm glad it, it, there's clearly gonna be more in the movie. Not only does Irulan not fucking show up until the final scene in the book. She's just like pawned off to Paul <laughs> as like part of this thing. Yeah. Paul's like, I, I, we're going to get married. She's like, ha has okay. nothing to say except, Father, his jawline, though. Let <laughs> his, me marry but him. His jawline, though. <laughs> I am single after all, Father. I swipe right. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah. So, yeah. Th this is maybe what I'm most, I mean, I'm excited to see every second of this movie injected into my veins, but <laughs> Irulan, I think, is what I'm most excited to see because it feels so new. And there's so yeah. many possibilities with that character. Yeah. And as we talked about with the other adaptations, like the sci-fi miniseries, I think the choice to make her more present and give her more time is absolutely the right call. Yes. And Florence Pugh is amazing and mm -hmm. looks so regal and looks incredible. And she's a great actress. And so we're going to see, I, I don't know. I'm just very excited. Agreed. Me too. And again, to see more of Shaddam and to see more of Shaddam's agency, because in the book, he shows up like a random stranger, and it is cool. I like the way Frank handled it in the book because you really feel that Baron is like uncomfortable in the room. Shaddam is a fucking presence in the book. It's very cool. But he it's we're always seeing him through other agents. We're always seeing him through Fenring, or we're always seeing him through the Sardaukar being there, but we're never like encountering him. And I think seeing him early on will make the ending that much more impactful yep. for Paul to say. No, I'm going to take your fucking throne and your uncreased Nikes, Hell bro. Yeah. Hell and yes. He's like, no, not my uncreased Nikes. And Paul's like, and I'm going to fucking crease them. I'm going to get sand in them. I'm going to fill them with dirt. No. And so I'm like, no. The resale value. The resale value is plummeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's some of the standout characters from the trailer. Let's talk about some story changes that seem to be taking place again all we can do is speculate off of a two and a half minute trailer right now but based on what we're seeing it does seem like there will be some tweaks to the story which on one hand feel inevitable right when you adapt a story to a different medium in a different time right we are generations away from when this book was written 
things will inevitably change, stories will evolve, characters will evolve. As long as you honor the original thematic ideas, you can do a fairly good job. But totally. let, let's yeah. talk about some of these changes. Yeah. And the first one is seems to be the nature of Paul's visions. This might be the most speculative of mm-hmm. the uh, changes that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But in the book, we're told over and over and over again, as Paul is envisioning this jihad, the whole time he always says, but also there's this worse thing, and I don't know how to avoid that worse thing without doing this. Right. And that's the sort of like trolley problem for Paul. In this trailer, and again, this is just one line, it's out of context, but in this trailer, Gurney and Paul are talking, and Paul says, well, all of my visions lead to horror. And Gurney's like, because you lose control? And Paul's like, no, because I gain it. Oh, chills. And it's this great line. It's a great, you know, it's a great movie line. But it feels very, it feels like it lacks the nuance that naturally will be there for the broader movie, but it also completely dodges the, like, darker possibility. Mm -hmm. So I think in the book, I never felt Oh, Paul is, 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 I don't know. It's not going that badly. I don't ever feel like it's going that badly. And then for Paul to say, because I gained control. And then the trailer ends with him like, yeah, I have control. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like, oh, sh-. and then like the nuke goes off and we're like, oh, this, it feels like we're beginning the Messiah style painting of Paul as kind of a villainous character. Yeah. Which is fair and good. And fine, and will set up very successfully a third movie. But if Villeneuve doesn't necessarily make it clear that there is some darker possibility that Paul is dodging this whole time, that would be a subtle but pretty significant, like ethical difference yes. in Paul's character. So we'll have to see. Uh, that's just something that came to mind as I was watching the trailer. Yep, I totally agree. If Villeneuve oversimplifies the visions like that, it takes away from Paul's yeah. character because then it leaves the audience questioning, should I be fucking cheering for this guy? Right? Like <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he says here very clearly, all my visions lead to horror because I gain control. And then are, are we as the audience supposed to be like, yeah, bro, gain control. That sounds like fun. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think, <laughs> I do think that Bill Nuv is aware of that. Like you can't just turn the audience against your main character. and. Paul is not a evil person, right? He wouldn't be like, oh, wow, the future sucks if I gain power. Anyway, how are we gaining power? Yeah, yeah step one. Uh, I, I think Villeneuve will create that like sort of secondary nuance where you need to explain, oh, I have no choice but to gain power, actually, because only I can, even if it's something as simple as like, only I can stop the jihad from being as bad. Right, 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 right. Like, it would be worse if I didn't do this. Yeah. So I I agree. We'll have to see how they treat the prescience and the visions, because the second half of the movie really gets more into the mystical stuff as well. You know, the first half was a lot of setup and politics. Second half gets deeply mystical and everyone gets high a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of drugs. (laughs) Yeah. I also, it seems like Chani is going to be more of that negotiator with Paul. Yeah. And like those conversations are going to be very rich for her to say, well, what is your... Like, what is you taking control going to do to my people? Right. And Paul right. could then have an opportunity to say, well, it's not as it's not as bad as if I didn't take control because then all this shit's already in motion. 
So it's, yeah, you're right. It's possible, like, we'll get that sort of nuance through that conversation because it seems like we'll have that kind of pushing back and forth between Johnny and Paul. Right, right. Well, the next thing we wanted to bring up that this trailer sort of reveals or teases us with is Beast Raban versus Gurney motherfucking Halleck? The cage fight of the century. You kidding me? Incredible. So in the trailer, again, we don't know if these shots are in, even in the same scene. Maybe they're fucking toying with us. But we get a seemingly connected shot of Raban saying, look who's look back, who's from, back the from the dead. And then we cut to Gurney walking up the stairs in Arakeen. So it sounds like there's a showdown about to happen here between these two characters, which would be cool because as we know in the book, Raban's death is entirely off page. It's, <laughs> we don't know the details of how Raban actually met his fate. Yeah. This would be a cool addition to the film. And the sci-fi miniseries actually did this first, to be fair, oh to give God. them credit. Yeah. That was fucking crazy. Which is crazy. I mean, they went they went very early two thousand sci fi with it. With his head. Remember? Yes. Literally the Fremen people pulling him apart. Yep. And yep. then a child with his head, like, look right. what I got. Right. So this won't technically be the first time we see Raban's death on screen, to be fair. Yeah. We saw it spectacularly in the sci fi series. But this could be the first time we see Gurney versus Raban showdown of the century, which would be very cool. And that would be a fun addition that isn't in the book at all. Yeah, especially because, again, remember, this is the man who gave Gurney that scar. Right. This is the man that, like, took Gurney from his family and put him in prison, in, in, in slavery, and is, in a lot of ways, the core of why Gurney hates the Harkonnens. So, viscerally. So, in the first movie, when he says, they're brutal, you know, and he has that great line, that it, he's thinking about Beast Raban. So, for him to have that revenge is is cool. I will say, um, we, we, we've talked about how at the end of the book, Paul is the only one who gets his way. I think that's like an important piece of this puzzle and also what makes this not a savior story. Yeah. It's not about Paul giving everybody what they want and the good guys win and the bad guys lose. It's kind of like everyone loses. That's the sort of vibe that I think is important. And a piece of that puzzle is Gurney Halleck at the moment that Paul goes, is there a Harkonnen in your entourage, Shaddam? And Fade's like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a, man, I'll play a role. <laughs> and uh, Paul's like, oh, cool, Harkonnen. He sounds a lot like Elvis. Um, and Gurney says, let me fight him. And Paul says, I can't, like, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. Like, I have to fight him. This is part of what needs to happen. Yeah. And so Gurney doesn't get his last chance for revenge against any Harkonnen person. So the idea of Gurney fighting Beast Raban. The idea of Thanos fighting Drax the Destroyer. <laughs> Love it. I do think that that weakens a little bit of Gurney's, or it weakens the the sort of mm, tragedy of Paul's victory. Mm. And I don't know how I feel about that. We'll see. We'll see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Again, yeah, I think that's a level of nuance shots. that doesn't translate to the screen as well. Like, you you can really too. pick that yeah. apart in a book. Uh, I think that density doesn't translate to a two, uh, two and a half hour movie super well and you have to know like so much context of gurney's backstory and yeah and so much of the extended lore for that to like land properly true and, and i think in a movie universe just a badass showdown between two <laughs> two giant men yeah. is probably like the most satisfying road to go honestly and, and you you lose yeah. you, granted you're correct you lose some of that nuance the complexity 
and, and the depth that makes Dune so special. But it is fun. And sometimes fun trumps the complexity. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about this last change we wanted to address that is not really shown or answered in the trailer, but makes us wonder. So, Leto II the Elder, Paul and Chani's first son, the first Leto II. In the book, they obviously have the child, and as we know, the child is killed in the sea trade where Alia is abducted. Right. There's a chilling scene where Paul gets a radio update that his son has been killed in this attack, and oh, it, it, that moment gives me chills because Paul is just like unleashed at that point. Right. Totally. Now, we do get some shots here of Harkonnen ornithopters carpet bombing a siege. Is that the siege where Leto II the Elder is? We don't know. We aren't actually given any reason in the trailer to believe that Paul and Shani do or do not have a son or that the son plays any sort of critical role in it. That, I think, is still up in the air, whether or not the son will make an appearance in the film. Alongside Alia, right? Like, these two children that are critical to this story have not been in any marketing material or in any trailers for this film. Yeah. And that's either because they've been cut and written around entirely or because they are critical parts of the story and the creators don't want to spoil them, want it to be a true surprise. Right. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them, with Leto the Elder and Alia, because there is a world in which you do cut those and are able to successfully write around them, and it won't be the end of the world. Again, you lose some of the nuance and the complexity, and you certainly yeah. lose the really emotional beat of Paul getting a radio update that his son has been killed yeah. right yeah, before yeah. on the eve of the battle, right? Right before he's about to unleash everything against his mortal enemies. You lose some of that emotional weight, and that is a gap that the movie will have to try and fill if they do choose to cut Leto to the Elder. They'll have to figure out some other way to to bring in that emotion. Yeah, I'm pretty confident we're not going to get the kid. And part, part of this is just the, the size of the time jump and the fact that they basically have to start the movie and start their relationship very quickly. Yeah. Like, how could they even go through that whole arc together? Yeah, I agree. And we also see Chani on the battlefield. And now she could be on the battlefield filled with rage because her child was killed. But I think it's more likely she's just on the battlefield because this whole time they've been talking and she's like, I'm going to be there by your side no matter what yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, I, again, I would I would kind of miss it as a deep fan of Dune. Uh, the real feeling of this, these are two parents mourning on the day of their victory over Emperor Shaddam and also the Harkonnens. But does it translate well for the screen? Would that like derail the whole movie if we need to like fit their relationship in? Yeah, I'm, I trust Denis. It's going to be a good movie. But, uh, you know, things things to, to think about based on what we've seen. For sure. For sure. Now, we had a couple of uh, just like miscellaneous little details we wanted to call out, which we thought were kind of fun. Um, these are going to be very rapid fire. Just going mm -hmm. through them because i like the little details are cool so 11 seconds into the trailer we see this unbelievable shot of like the harkonnen armies just spread out on the horizon this is incredible force of fighting men and there's a platform like a little podium thing and the baron's on it floating as he always does with his little like back mounted suspensors right but he's also got some balls <laughs> 
of some sort. Floating balls. <laughs> floating balls. I mean, he's probably also got floating balls, but he's a new se separate pair of yeah. floating balls. Yeah. And these two, like, big, it looks, they look big compared to him. Like, they look between, like, a basketball and a, you know, beach ball. And they're connected to him with these, like, golden strands. Right. Uh, I'm told if they don't go back to normal size within two weeks, you should go see a doctor. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the souk advice, right? <laughs> right. As, uh, Dr. Yui said that in right. dying breath. He's like, if your balls go to get And then he cut his head off. Yeah. So was kind of like pondering what are those because they are connected to him and they kind of move with him. But we know that his suspensors are just on his back. They're just the like insect sound clickety clackety thing. Yeah. So one of the possibilities that came to mind is uh, maybe he's not fully recovered from the poison from the mm. tooth. And this is like a, a like drip. A, like an like IV an, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. an IV. That's fine. Um, could be cool. Yeah. I don't know. Fun we'll little world building details and set design stuff. Indeed. The last little detail <laughs> is the cave of birds. So uh, toward the end of the book, right, Paul gathers all the knaves and Fremen, you know, representatives from all these different sieges. We get to see little shots of that in this trailer, and it looks fucking cool. Like this unbelievably vast interior space with these natural skylights with this light pouring down, highlighting little pockets of the crowd. So good. really incredible. Yeah. And, and even like if you're zooming in, there's it looks like perhaps Paul in like his sort of like wide foot power stance greeting knaves or greeting people and there's a little podium it looks all very very cool beautiful i loved the rays of light coming in through the roof mm, acting yeah. as like sort of a natural light for the space it's a giant cavernous area and it's all lit by these little pockets of light that stream in i mean the cinematography we said it earlier but unmatched <laughs> denny is going all out oh he's killing it it's great all right so let's wrap up talking about this trailer very quickly what was your favorite part and why? Uh, I think my favorite part might be, this is a little unfair because it's kind of similar to my favorite part of the first trailer, which is <laughs> Gurney Halleck's line reads. Yeah. Josh Brolin saying, the Harkonnens, they're brutal, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. like, still gives me chills. Him saying, young pup. Yeah. Or whatever. Young saying pup. young pup to fucking Paul. Oh my God, the amount of emotion in his voice, the way his voice breaks, it's so interesting, but it's not, doesn't feel out of character. Yeah. It's really just a glistening little moment and watching it. I like, I just immediately felt so much emotions. So that, I think that was probably my favorite moment and why, what about you? What kind of stood out to you? For me, this is kind of a real basic answer, but for me, it was the action sequences, the carpet bombing, the ornithopter rocket launcher shield explosion Johnny scene from early yeah. like this yeah. looks like a war movie a capital w war movie and i'm honestly here for it because in the book especially in the second half a lot of the action is basically just glossed over right in the film it seems like we are actually getting to see what happens in those time jumps we're seeing the assault on arakeen we're seeing the guerrilla warfare of Paul and his Fadakin out in the field harassing the Harkonnens, the hit-and-run tactics that they used for years against the Harkonnens before that final assault. Yeah. That's fun. I'm glad we're going to get to see some of that. I'm glad we're going to get to experience some of the, the action. And of course, the cinematography looks beautiful as well. Like, show me shield explosions for three straight hours and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. 
Totally. So I'm excited for that for sure. Indeed. Okay. Well, that's the second trailer. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk briefly about there's there was actually an interesting article about Rebecca Ferguson, aka Jessica, in the Town and Country magazine on June 6th. Mm -hmm. So this article basically gives us an explicit Villeneuve just talking about how Lady Jessica is going to be more of an expanded role in this new movie. Right. And this is the quote from Villeneuve. Quote, Lady Jessica kind of disappears in the second part of the book, and I made sure as I was writing the screenplay to do the opposite, to make sure that she will be active, to bring her back to the front of the story. I'm looking forward for the world to see what Rebecca has accomplished. She's not afraid to go very far away. She's a force that I can count on. End quote. Which is pretty amazing praise. High praise, like yeah. Villeneuve. And as part of that article, they also mentioned that apparently during the filming of the first movie, Rebecca Ferguson actually arranged for them to all go diving or like the cast and the stunt crew to go diving in the Dead Sea off the coast of Jordan. Okay. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. That's so fun. fun. Or is that a Benny Gesserit plot? Hello. Mm. Hello. She's just doing Benny Gesserit training out there. Every time they come up for air, she's like, by the way, have you considered how... And she's just like indoctrinating <laughs> them whenever they're breathing air. They right. start to associate right. breathing with you. Their brain's not getting enough oxygen, so they're more malleable more, to, yeah. to indoctrination. Oh, true. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, add Lady Jessica to our list of characters that are seemingly getting expanded roles in the film, right? Yeah. Johnny, Irulan, Shaddam. We're going to see more of these characters, and I'm all for it. Sounds like this should be a five-hour movie. I'm excited. Agreed. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a couple more quick fire movie news. On June 29th, Deadline hinted at a third movie, which then, of course, the internet did its fucking thing, picked up on this one sentence from the Deadline article and ran wild with it, claiming that a third movie had been confirmed, trilogy confirmed, Villeneuve's on to make the third movie, et cetera, et cetera. All these headlines everywhere. Right. And to be clear, Here's the exact sentence from the Deadline article. Quote, The middle pick in the series finds Atreides as he unites with Chani and the Fremen out for revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family. End quote. So the article is basically talking about the trailer, and it's that sentence right there, the words, the middle pick in the series, that people have latched out to and assumed that a third movie is confirmed. Whether this was intentional from Deadline, and they do know some details, about a third confirmed movie, or it's simply a slip up in the wording of that sentence that the editor didn't catch. We don't know. But what we do know is that there is no confirmation from either Villeneuve or Warner Brothers that a third movie's in the works, right. to be super, super clear. Of course, we've talked on this podcast before many times about how vocal Villeneuve is about wanting to make a Dune trilogy. He wants to cover the first book and Dune Messiah in a three-part trilogy. Right. We certainly hope that happens. I'm all for it. But I'm not going to be holding my breath until either Villeneuve or Warner Brothers themselves say the words, third movie is a go. We're making it right now. Yeah. Especially with all the uncertainty around like SAG strike and writing and, right, and uh, like right. Writers Guild. There's so much uncertainty right now. It's, it is frustrating to like, if you search... Third part, it's like dozens. Every of headline, 
yeah. is like confirmed, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it was a fucking single sentence with no source. This wasn't <laughs> Villeneuve talking. This is just the person at deadline writing a sentence. It's right, like, right. Uh, it, it genuinely just feels like a slip up and the editor just missed it, right? Like an editor should have caught that and been like, wait, wait, change the wording of this sentence. It implies a third movie. We don't know yet. Or if you do know, fucking drop your sources. Exactly, exactly. Say how you know, yeah. Yeah, so a bit of a warning about the nature of the internet, folks. Well, <laughs> continuing the warning train. <laughs> yeah, speaking of. <laughs> speaking of, uh, the last bit of news we have around part two is that there have been some rumors about the film's runtime, which appear, as far as I could find, to run back to worldofreal.com. Okay. Uh, from July 7th. Quote, how does three hours, 15 minutes sound to you? This does not mean that the released version will be that long, but it is an indication, a tease, if you will, of how epic this second chapter will be. End quote. Okay. Which fucking, literally, he's saying, how does this random number of minutes sound? <laughs> Could be an indication, maybe, I don't fucking know. And then everyone's like, cool, three hours, 15 minutes, Right. hot. Like That's literal headlines time. that say Dune Part Two confirmed to be three hours and fifteen minutes. So like, dumb. People just talking out of their ass. <laughs> it's so dumb. And even like the Secrets of Dune account that we we both follow on Twitter tweeted the rumor, got over a million views on the tweet. Right. And we have reason to think. I mean, we have plenty of reason to think that that's not going to be the case. And in fact, I think we both agree. I think it's like destructive at this stage to talk about this in these terms. Yes. Don't fucking worry about the length of the movie it's going to be as long as it's going to be it's on the editing it's being edited right, right now no! shots getting <laughs> the cut run out time is it. changing every single day yeah name a run time it's different now <laughs> that's how dumb this is <laughs> but you also like you found um there was a there was a response tweet right yes yeah yeah, yeah. so actually uh an la-based entertainment journalist griffin schiller he quote tweeted secrets of dune and shot down the rumor. He was like, this This is hilariously untrue. Not the runtime of the movie. And he didn't exactly like cite his own sources either, right? So maybe he's full of shit too. So I emailed him. I was like, hey, dear Griffin, hi. This is Abu from the Gamjabar podcast. Can you just confirm with me this runtime thing? I saw your tweet. And he responded. He was very kind and very open. And he gave us some details and confirmed that's not the runtime and that's why he quote tweeted. And he asked us to keep the rest of the details confidential in the email. So we're not allowed to say anything about it. But he did go on to later tweet that the runtime is under three hours. So he, say, he said that publicly. So we're allowed to say it publicly. The runtime is under three hours. Currently, again, as of, I don't know, this week, last week, it's going to fucking change again next week because the film is being edited as we speak. Totally. And also... I, we've talked about this a lot, where both of our impression and our experience of watching the first movie was directly impacted by the knowledge that, like, 40 minutes of the movie had been cut out. Yes. Because a lot of, like, the criticisms around the movie were what wasn't in the movie. And when there's that number in your head of 40 minutes of more movie was shot that wasn't in the final cut, you're in the theater thinking, oh, they didn't do a dinner scene. That must have been one of the things they don't fucking worry about it. Right. Be in the chair, enjoy the fucking movie, be yes. present yes. in the storytelling. You know, we'll do our obsessive breakdown of all the things <laughs> that weren't in it naturally. But 
at this early on, it's fucking July. We've right. got so many months We're until so the movie many comes out. Away. And if things change up to like month before, you know, even like the screening, the film festivals will yeah. be uh, oh months much closer. Thing, but, things yeah. change to days before. Like I have friends who worked on the last Spider-Man movie and we were doing some like whatever cross promotion stuff with that team. And they were literally like, actually, we're not done with the movie yet. And we're, we were fucking like three <laughs> days out from the premiere. Wow. From like the red oh carpet premiere. And they were like, actually, it's still being edited and we have to polish up a couple more scenes and there were some last minute changes. Jesus Lord. Like days, <laughs> days out from the red carpet premiere. Yeah. Oh and God. so, yeah, it, it is silly to be like obsessing over runtime so early. Uh, and it's also like, yeah, as super fans, you're going to be obsessing over what's cut, what was shot, what could have been, what uh, give us the director's cut, you know, like you and I are both guilty of doing so much of that in the first film because totally. there were yeah. runtime rumors of the first film that the first one was like almost four, you know, three and a half hours long, whatever. And we were like, dang, give us that cut. Folks, we've all learned our lesson. We've all been burned. Let's just not worry about the runtime this time. Like you so beautifully said earlier, it will be what it will be. And we will go sit in our seats and enjoy it in the theater. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, that's all of our news about Dune. Part two, the movie mm -hmm. news. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to talk about the television show now for a bit. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So don't go anywhere. When we're back, we're talking sisterhood. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, folks. Let's continue on to some other Dune news. And let's begin by talking about the Dune Sisterhood series. Yeah. So we have talked before in previous D-Strands episodes about how the cast and crew of this HBO Max series have kind of been all over the place. There have been some big departures recently, directors, stars, showrunners. But... Now we have some further updates, according to a Variety piece from June 30th. From that article, we know that Anna Forster has been tapped to direct, and Anna will be replacing Johan Rank, who we know was originally part of the project and left because of creative differences. Forster's work includes directing episodes on shows like Westworld or Jessica Jones or Outlander, which are all like pretty big, well-known shows. Like That's a pretty yeah. good portfolio. She has some film work as well, but it's nothing super notable, like pretty low-rated films out there. So we'll see. Uh, I have no context for who Anna Forster is and what kind of work she does, but we'll see. She's now directing this show. Additionally, we know that Shirley Henderson and Indira Varma, two stars of the show, both left the production, and they have now been replaced by Olivia Williams and Jody May. And Olivia Williams is best known as... The Wife in the Sixth Sense, or at least that's where we know her from. And she's also been in shows like The Crown, The Nevers, and Funny Woman. Yeah. Jodie May is known for roles in The Last Mohican and A World Apart, and she's been in The Witcher, hello, where she plays Queen Calanthe. 
which is pretty fun. She was a very good Calanthe. Calanthe was a very strong part of the first season. Yeah, so I was going to ask. That, yeah. That's exciting to hear that she's part of this project. She will bring some energy to the screen. Yeah, because they're both playing the Harkonnen sisters, which are like right, the, the two leads. the leads. And so that's good to know. I didn't, I, I couldn't remember Calanthe from the adaptation, but I was, I was curious because you know yep. a lot more about that. Yeah. Now, apparently, according to Deadline, reported on July 14th, the show is set to resume production in Budapest, despite the ongoing Writers <laughs> Guild and SAG after strikes. Interesting. Which is fucked up. That's called scabbing, isn't it? Um, that, that is called scabbing. Um, I, it's very convoluted, and I'm no expert on this, but based on this article... The details are, there's some weird loopholes and shit. Like they have contracts with some sort of British uh, like acting company. And e even like SAG is like, oh, if you are contracted with them, go ahead and work on your production. Like you should actually, because mm. of like some laws in, in the UK or something. So it, it's okay. like a very com complicated, like international laws cesspool. I, I don't want to like point any fingers and be like, wow, look at these scabs still working through a strike. I think some of it is just because contractually it, some of the folks are required to keep working because of international laws. Okay. But regardless, it's still shitty. Like it's still, it's still tough. Yeah. It's a tough look for Max in particular. It's like, yes. also, and, and again, just to kind of like wrap up this, let's share our thoughts on, on this news. Sure. Um, I'll say I am actually genuinely surprised not only because of everything that's happening with the writers guild and sag but like that max is continuing to pour money <laughs> yes. into like casting and putting people in it's like just fucking take a break take a breath max this isn't working you can come back to it you've got the concept you have the rights whatever but like this this like frantic like oh we got to put a new director in place we got to get i'm like kind of shocked i don't I, I hope it does happen eventually but uh yeah, golly, surprised that they haven't called it quits yet. <laughs> yes, uh, I completely agree. I'm at the point now where I am pretty convinced the show will never see the light of day, and I'm not exactly holding my breath for it. It's a very ship of Theseus problem with this show at this point. Like, they have taken the showrunner, the director, the lead actors out. They've replaced, like, is it even the same show in production anymore when you take that no. many of the creative people who were originally signed on for it out of the picture? You know, like, is it still the ship of Theseus if you take all the pieces out? Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like they're fucking starting from square one again. And I, I'm just not convinced we'll ever see this show. Yeah. That's Dune Sisterhood for you. That's Dune Sisterhood. <laughs> well, let's talk about the games, because there yes. actually has been quite a bit of news around Dune Awakening, right? There has. So recently, we had the PC gaming show. If you're a gamer, you know a lot of the game shows happened back in June. And Funcom had quite a bit of footage and dev interviews to show off about their upcoming Dune MMO, Dune Awakening. And in a 13-minute video that's posted on their YouTube channel, the developers talk about things like how the player will start the game as a castaway with nothing to their name, with just a knife. Mm -hmm. And part of the game is slowly working your way up in the brutal world of Arrakis. Uh, the gameplay as they explained, will break down into four buckets. There's survive, protect, expand, control. So 
at the start, you'll sort of survive, and then you'll start building up your base, which you'll have to protect against both the natural elements of Arrakis and other players. Eventually, you'll start expanding and joining other guilds and other groups and taking other people's stuff. And eventually, that kind of like grows into larger MMO style sort of guild versus guild, territory versus territory elements on a macro level when it comes to MMO games. It sounds pretty ambitious. It sounds pretty fun. They also got granular with some of what they talked about. They talked about how the combat, for example, will include both ranged and melee weapons, weapons like laser guns, mala pistols, swords, kinjaws, a lot of the classic Dune yeah. weaponry that we know from the books. Yeah. What What are your kind of overall thoughts, having seen more of this, uh, more of the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm more cautious than optimistic. And I, I think, to be fair, part of my lack of hype for the game is just because I don't play MMOs. It's not a genre that I spend a lot of time in. And so a Dune MMO just on its very premise is not something that I'm totally sold on. Sure. But this video had very little actual gameplay to show. Yeah, and yeah. it what it did show was just sort of characters walking around very slowly. And there was like three seconds of like a janky shootout scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the environments look cool, to be fair. Like, I think they're doing a spectacular job with the sieges and the desert, and it's all looking very vast and huge and beautiful. But I'm I'm not going to start getting hyped until I see some gameplay of what the combat looks like. They talked a lot about the combat. They didn't show any. They talked a lot about the progression system. They didn't show any. So right now, this video felt like a lot of promises from the developers and a lot of what they are hoping the game will have a lot of their vision. I will wait to see how much of that vision comes to life before I dive into the deep end. What about you? Are you more excited? I am a little more excited. I also, cause I started working as a game developer like last year. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. what occurs to me is like, it is so detrimental to let people see the game too early. Like yes. showing people more of those concrete gameplay loops before it's had a chance to have polish on it and it's dumb but like if i show you a phenomenal game with no roughness maps and no texture maps you're gonna be like this is a trash game what is this <laughs> fucking garbage nintendo 64 bullshit yeah in, yeah in the age of the playstation 5 and the you know, xbox series s so i kind of get why they're being very uh at this stage because it's not even an alpha yet or they haven't they haven't done the early access alpha like beta test thing so we'll see I, I i liked that they stressed because i'm not very i don't i don't really want to do like raids and like group stuff and it sounded like a lot of their late game mechanics were revolved around you know you get you join a guild and you do all yeah. this guild shit and i'm like i kind of just want to be off on my own like when i'm when i'm playing those sorts of mmos it's like i kind of do just like adventuring on my own and being self-sufficient i don't really do the social thing as much uh which is an interesting reflection of my personal life. Uh, <laughs> but I think that they, they, they made it clear in the 13-minute video that like you can go the mercantile route and you can do like trading and you can do more of like the just building up your economic empire and like that sounds interesting to me and not as much of the PvP, you know, fighting people and Yeah. So they'll have to they'll have to nail the the first like the single player experience. Um and I Agreed. think they'll 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 do their best to. 
and we'll have to see what it is. And, and I, I did like the footage that we got to see, uh, even in alpha that, you know, some of the art assets are looking pretty crisp and yeah. Yeah. And I think with just a little, like literally just adding roughness maps to half of the stuff that we're seeing would make the whole thing look that much better. <laughs> it uh, is the desert after all. Indeed. Rough is, is sand is rough. It's coarse. It gets everywhere. And a famous it. game developer <laughs> hates roughness maps. He's like, give me those height maps. Give me those um yeah, those <laughs> those base maps any day. But I don't like roughness maps. <laughs> so anyway, uh yeah, I, I am more excited. It's fun to see the team and the main guy seemed pretty knowledgeable. I like that they called out Kinjals. Like, Kinjal, right. You don't right. you don't mention the Kinjal casually. Unless you've done at least a fair amount of research about like what are the weapons and what, are, and I like that. That's yeah, cool. yeah, anyway. they definitely all seemed very knowledgeable about the story and the lore. Agreed, totally. Now to quickly talk about the other Dune game out in the world right now, Dune Spice Wars, which you and I have both played because we both bought early access, received a major update on June twenty second, and sort of the headlining feature of this update was the new conquest mode, the new campaign conquest mode. And I actually played some of it this week, and it was fun. Like, it kind of reminded me of the Dune board game, where you kind of have a map of Arrakis, and there's different territories, and the players are all vying for control of each territory, and to capture the territory, you kind of jump into a match, quote-unquote, right? And there are different win conditions. Uh, and then you kind of like keep doing that as you fight for control over Arrakis. So it, it seemed fun. I didn't play a whole lot, but I can see this being sort of a fun campaign mode that you come back to with different objectives and it keeps yeah. things fresh. That is cool. I will say, I don't know how much you have visited Spice Wars recently, but I played it this week. I haven't played in the last couple of months. And it's still in early access, not a full release yet. They've been adding things to it slowly over the past year, but it's still not quite scratching the itch for me like a lot of other 4X strategy games do. Games that I love like Stellaris or Civilization have this like really natural built-in like, oh, just one more turn. Oh, just one more thing. Yeah, oh, let me yeah, just yeah. do, you know, there's like this addictive element to like, oh, let me just once this next building is done, then I'll be, then I'll take a break. And then, you know, it's, it's six hours later and it's 4am. <laughs> that doesn't happen with Dune Spice Wars. There's not like a turn-based thing or there's not like a thing that hooks me and keeps me going to the next objective. Right. And I wonder if they'll be able to figure that out before release. It's not quite clicking with me like other strategy games do. And uh, I, you know, I've always been a big strategy game player. But I will say the bones of the game are very strong. I think they have cool. built, they've given themselves a foundation to build on. They just need to figure out how to, how to make that like nuance of strategy games click and, and to add some of that addictive element and continue to add some of that complexity. Yeah, I haven't played recently. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. And it's funny because like sometimes it's just literally tweaking like the sound effect of things completing or like sometimes it's literally that small of an adjustment yeah. for it to suddenly become addictive and crazy. So we'll have to see. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Well, the final thing we have in gaming news, which also brings us toward the end of the episode is a weird left field yeah. uh, announcement. Yeah. Microsoft flight simulator is releasing a Dune expansion on November 3rd to go along with the movie. Yeah. And I want to shout out specifically Hector Mariani, as always, longtime listener, for 
making this apparent to us, not only in the Discord, but also sent us an email, which was great. And from the video's caption, quote, Microsoft Flight Simulator has created an authentically detailed House Atreides ornithop. <laughs> Master the complex controls of one of the most dynamic aircraft ever conceived okay. as you pilot your ornithopter through awe-inspiring locations across the mysterious desert planet of Arrakis, end quote. Wow. So, okay. interesting. I hadn't noticed, because again, this is kind of an older game, but they did a Top Gun Maverick expansion as well for the top gun movie which makes sense yeah but the i mean the the footage looks incredible like the ornithopter in the gameplay it like did. little teaser looks fucking spectacular yeah so i'm yeah i don't know i'm curious uh, what do you what do you think did you did you um yeah what what are you thinking about it um man we we truly live in the age of just brand crossovers feels like every day there's like a weird brand crossover this one is completely unexpected and it's mostly because I don't really pay attention to flight simulator. Sim, sim games are not really my thing. And yeah, gosh, I don't know. Like I, I had like no emotional reaction to this at all, really. Like I have downloaded and played like maybe 10 minutes of flight simulator before I realized I'll never be a pilot and I don't want to fly planes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I don't even know that I'll even check this out. I'll probably watch some YouTube videos or something or watch a Twitch stream of someone playing it. But Flight Simulator is such a massive fucking download. It's like 150 gigs or something. Jesus. Depending on how many cities you download, it gets like fucking massive. Regardless, I don't know that I'm going to sit through a 100 gig plus download to play maybe like 20 minutes of an ornithopter in the desert and fly around. So... Yeah, th this was just kind of a funny update. It, totally unexpected. Yeah. Didn't realize this was a thing. Yeah. And uh, now that I've seen it, I'm kind of just like, shrug. Okay, more <laughs> brand crossovers. You love to see it. <laughs> like, give me more Dune crossovers. I'm not. I'm not like trying to shoot this down or anything. Like, this is this is cool. And for the people who are into Flight Simulator and Dune, like that Venn diagram of twelve people, this is <laughs> fucking awesome for them. And I'm so yeah, happy for yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. In the grimace shake will be replaced by a by water of life milkshake. Hell yes, yeah! Give me, <laughs> give me that McDonald's Dune crossover oh, any day of the meal. week. McDonald's Happy Meal. Yeah. What about you? Are you gonna check out Simulator and fly across the desert? <laughs> I've never played Microsoft Flight Sim Simulator. Um, I didn't know it was such a crazy download, which definitely dampens my excitement a little <laughs> bit. But no, I'm like. I'm down to try it. I'm down to, I want to see what it's like to fly an ornithopter. And I could definitely see recording a couple of like Patreon exclusive videos to just like watch Leo crash many ornithopters. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. I also, from a lore standpoint, naturally, Frank isn't writing books anymore. He's taking a break or something. So we're not really getting at any time soon a primary source or even a secondary or tertiary source of what flying an ornithopter is like. We get a lot of characters flying ornithopters, and we hear the way Duncan flies an ornithopter is just like Paul realizes it's Duncan based on how he flies. So, what makes Duncan a great pilot? Mm. I don't know. Right. And this game would give me a chance to be a bad pilot so that I can better appreciate Duncan Idaho's abilities behind the yeah. ornithopter. That's and fun. I'm like, yeah, to, to kind of put myself just as like a fun thought experiment in the shoes of these characters that I know so well. I'm excited for that. So I'll try it out. You can you can watch me play. Maybe we'll uh we'll do a little Twitch stream 
Yeah, that would be fun. It'd be fun. Yeah, and that's it. That's news. That's it. That's the latest Dune news, dear listener, for you to get caught up on. The things that we are keeping our eyes on. Of course, the big news of the moment is the movie, which we are inching ever closer toward. And we can't wait. But of course, the Dune universe is expanding. And there's so much to enjoy. It's true. Now, before we let you go, we've got some final reminders for you. First, the best way to support us, you might ask. How mm. is it? How oh. do I? I like what you do. Do tell. How do I do more for how to support? Become a patron at patreon.com slash gomjabar. Yeah. Absolutely the best way to support us. Makes what we do possible. And you get cool benefits in exchange for your support. We've got ad-free episodes for you. Weekly blooper clips. Got some bonus clips and materials we're going to be filming and doing over the next few months. Patreon.com slash Yamjabar. That's right. And another great way to support us is to check out our merch store. We've got art, apparel, mugs, tote bag, everything you could ever want and ever need in life. You can find at Comptabarshop.com. That's a bold claim, but I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> Are you single, lonely? <laughs> find your perfect partner at Comptabarshop.com. <laughs> It's not a sex toy. <laughs> well, and finally, we love to hear from you. So whether it's feedback on episodes, comments, questions, concerns, or if we missed Dune news goings on, always lovely to hear from you. Email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the name of our, that's our email address. It's the name of our email address. <laughs> if you type those letters in that order in right. your preferred mail browser, that's how you get in contact. with us. Uh, also, the name of my firstborn. Gamjabar Podcast. Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. You get right here, right now. Is that mud? Is that mud on your boots? Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. Look at me. Are you tracking mud into the house? Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. You kidding me? Have you even done your homework? Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. Don't don't fucking tell me your name doesn't fit on the line. You can fit the name on the line. Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. Look how easy it is to say Gamjabar Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> come to my podcast at gmail.com dinner time dinner time don't make me call you again come to our podcast at gmail.com <laughs> hi this is my son come to our podcast at gmail.com nice to meet you this is my daughter good evening <laughs> <laughs>well friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help spread the word of muadib and leave us a review on apple podcasts and spotify and be sure to check out the other shows on the lord party podcast network on lordparty.com you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party and we are on tiktok as gamjapar podcast thank you so much for listening and remember whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.